Good morning, everybody. Good morning and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, you could you could respond. That's fine. Yeah, it, don't worry. It's well, I heard it enough. My, it's okay. Um, anyway, uh, we've all moved on to Christmas, right? So we sort of forgot, like, oh, Thanksgiving. You did that. I'm in Christmas mode now, right? Um, it's good to see you guys. My name is Matthew. Uh, for those of you visiting, uh, welcome. We're glad that you could be with us, whether you're in town visiting family or friends, or maybe you're joining us online and somehow stumbled upon our service today. Um, whether you're here in person or joining us through the live stream, glad that you could be with us uh, on this November morning. Uh, there's a number of things as we turn uh, toward the Advent season, the Christmas season, that are going on in the life of our church And so I want to highlight a few of those for you. I actually need to. A number of people told me I had things I I must tell you today. So you know me, I try to limit our opening words and announcements, but there's a few important things that are coming up that I want to highlight for you. So bear with me for a second. But uh, the first of all is that you may have noticed that gentle aroma of bacon permeating your your environment at this moment. Uh, That bacon, uh, for those of you who know have been around, is, uh, is a reminder that High school youth group is meeting downstairs. That bacon is also a reminder that it's not for us today. But I have good news for you, which is that next Sunday, exactly a week from today, the high schoolers are making bacon for you, right? So we're going to bring back, back by popular demand, the high school-led breakfast. Uh, That's next Sunday at 8.30, right there in the fellowship hall. So uh, thank you to our high schoolers and youth leaders who are willing to host that for that for us and cook for us. Please do come. There's no sign up. Just come and join us for breakfast at 8.30 next Sunday. Free bacon for you. Right. Okay. So other things that are, are going on right out here in the fellowship hall today, the deacons are setting up Christmas tags. This is a way that the Northbridge Association of Churches, uh, we adopt families to provide Christmas gifts for people in our community uh, who find themselves with limited means this holiday season. Okay, so this is one of my, rapidly becoming one of my favorite things about our town. We did this at Thanksgiving. We adopted families to provide a Thanksgiving meal. Last Sunday, when I drove up, all of these baskets of food were set up out front of the church to give away to people in our community. Man, what a beautiful thing. We get to do it again in a few weeks. So please see the deacons on your way in. Adopt a family or two if you want. Uh, That'll be there this week and then next week as well also, I think. Finally, uh, the cadets, this is their last day to sign up for Christmas trees or Christmas decorations if you want. So please look at the bulletin announcement on the back if you're interested in getting some um, decorations for this season. Next Saturday is the Armenian Bazaar, uh, which we are hosting again this year right here in the Fellowship Hall. The church is full of all kinds of interesting gifts and treats. Please do come and check that out. Uh, Next Sunday also at 4 p.m., Diane and I want to host a hymn sing at our place. So if you're interested in singing hymns out of the hymnal, just come on over 4 p.m. next Sunday. We're going to do that. Uh, And then finally, in a few weeks, Christmas Eve is coming. That's on a Sunday. We're going to be having a church service here at 9.30 in the morning like we normally would. Please bake and bring some Christmas cookies so that we can celebrate over coffee and cookies together afterward. And then at 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve, we're going to do a candlelight um, uh, 
what's the word? Service. Thank you. Thank you. Service. A service. I got so close to the end, everyone. Man, there we go. So 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve, come back. We'll do our candlelight Christmas Eve service. Okay, now that your brain is thoroughly full, would you please rise and body in spirit? Let's worship together. Good morning, everybody. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 95 and Philippians 2. Come, let us sing to the Lord, make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. The Lord is a great God, the great King of all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains. In his hands are the sea and the dry land, for he made them. For he is our God, who did not use that to his advantage. For he is our God, who emptied himself of glory. For he is our God, who For he is our God, who us. On the cross, there is our God. On the throne, there is our God. For he will bow, and every tongue proclaim. Jesus is Lord, and he is our God.
may be seated. We stand beneath the cross of Jesus, and we see there his dying form. Witnessing the suffering and his great love for us compels us to come before him in prayer. Friends, let's confess. 
Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct us what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Christ our Lord. Amen. Now let's take a moment in a silent confession. Friends, hear the good news and declare it with joy. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. By grace, you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God did this so that in coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In Christ we are saved. Praise God from whom all blessings Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and who has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. Our morning offerings will be received this morning for our ministries here at Pleasant Street. The baskets will be coming around, <clears throat> or in the bulletin there's a QR code if you want to give that way. Let's pray. Father, you gave us your son, the beloved one who is rejected the Savior who appeared defeated. Open our hearts, Lord, and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that as we sing these songs of praise to you and hear your word, the mystery of Christ's kingship may illuminate our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
rise in body or spirit. Friends, Jesus offers us a peace, and we get a chance right now to pass that peace with our brothers and sisters. Friends, the peace of Christ is with you. I'd like to invite all the kids ages four through second grade there to come up and be dismissed for Kid Street. The people of God, what is our prayer? Continue to show us you're wonderful, never stopping, never giving up unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. Lord be with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Friends, good morning again. Uh, if you are visiting with us or if you are new to church or the liturgical year, you may not know this, but uh, churches move in ancient rhythms that we call the liturgical calendar. And today, uh, as you've come into this worship space, you've joined uh, Christians 
all around the world who are celebrating the end of the year, uh, the end of the liturgical year, which we call Christ the King Sunday. And on Christ the King Sunday, we remember uh, that in the midst of this world and all that is unfinished, that Jesus is even now reigning as king over all things. Uh, And that is something that is sometimes hard to see, which is why we come to church. Because in this place, God by his spirit comes and gives us the eyes of faith to see and perceive the things that we cannot see otherwise, which is that Jesus is on the throne in heaven, reigning over all things. And the good news for us about that is that here in this place, we have a direct line right to the king. And so let's pray. Sovereign King, we praise you for your just and righteous reign over the cosmos, for order in the creation, for a mysterious sovereignty over the kingdoms of this world, for faithfulness to your church, and for your claim over our lives. We say thank you. We remember today that you are at once both a king and a servant, the one who was willing to give your life for your creatures and who even now cares for what we might count as insignificant or beneath you. And so we approach your throne of grace now knowing that you will listen to our prayers, all of them, both great and small. Lord, we lift up those in our community today who have received food through the Northbridge Association of Churches, our Thanksgiving donations, and through the pantry and the food bank. Lord, we ask that you would sustain them, not just with this one-time gift, but that you would provide for what they need more regularly. Lord, today we gather here and we remember and acknowledge that we shared tables with friends and family this weekend. And so we give you thanks for those who have traveled to be with us or traveled to be with loved ones elsewhere. We also remember those who could not. Lord, this morning gathered here, we know that church doesn't happen by accident, but that it is the work of many hands. And so we lift up to you those in our midst who are as leaders and servants among us in this congregation. Lord, as we think of the end of the year, we turn our attention to students who are finishing degrees after high school We think of them as they wonder what's worth pursuing, and we ask that you would come with your reign and your kingship and show them what it means to follow and serve you. We pray for middle school and high school students as they begin to ponder who they are and what the future might hold. We ask Christ this morning that you would show them that you are the one who holds the future and their lives. Thinking of your reign and kingship, we pray that a measure of justice and peace would happen in our midst here, and so we pray for our town selectmen and for our town manager and for all those who work to do the government work and business of our town in town offices. We pray for the water company. We pray for those who manage power and electricity. We pray for those who work in the Department of Public Works and all other public servants 
We lift up and pray for mail carriers, for UPS drivers, for FedEx drivers as they turn toward a very busy and demanding season. Here in the midst of our community, we remember that you are king and we have brothers and sisters all over New England. And so we lift up to you just two congregations that have been on our mind this fall. We give you thanks for our brothers and sisters at the river in Douglas and at River of Life in Athens, Maine. Thank you that this fall they have welcomed new pastors in their midst. We pray for both of these congregations in this new season of ministry. Lord, as you hung on a cross, we remember that your first thought was for others. You forgave the ones who ridiculed and tortured you. You accepted the criminal who hung beside you. And it was you who made a mockery of the sign that they placed above your head, intending to mock you. For little did they know that they indeed were gazing at a king. And today we claim you as our king. We don't need signs and labels to recognize your power and your authority, Lord, for it's because we have seen the unlikely become reality, because we have witnessed you in the unexpected, and because we believe in truths honed by a carpenter's son that we dare to hope, Lord, that your kingdom has come among us and continues to come day after day among the poor and the lonely, the sick and the weary, the angry and the abused, the warmongers and the peace seekers, and even among ordinary folks who are ordinarily unaware, even among us, though sometimes we struggle to see it. And so it is for those and others and for us whose lives are touched by grief and greed and justice and injury, emptiness and endlessness that we pray now. We lift up to those of you who are experiencing loss and grief among us, we think in particular of the Eblings, the Eplets, the Lawrences, the Rooks, the Wiersmas, and the Lewis family. We lift up also the names of others this holiday season who feel the loss of loved ones in a new way or all over again. We pray for people in our midst who are anticipating surgeries. We pray for many. We pray for continued healing for people who have experienced hospital stays and surgeries recently. We lift up Alicia and Betsy and Sandy. We lift up to you the names of those whose sorrow and lament with tears are their only food. We lift up to you places where we have brothers and sisters amidst war and conflict in Ukraine, in Russia, for the church in Palestine and for the church in the midst of the state of Israel. We pray and lift up these things, trusting in the goodness and the grace that retrieved lost sheep and wayward sons, the grace that consoled grieving mothers and weeping women at a tomb, that fed aching stomachs and eager minds, the grace that soothed the open wounds of untouchables and throbbing scars of hatred, that laid open itself to pain, rejection, and abandonment so that we might know healing, acceptance, and belonging. And Lord, today, if we catch only a glimpse of your mercy among the hardness of life, if we can sense your presence only for a fleeting moment in the busyness of this season, if we can witness that wholeness happening amongst the brokenness of life, then we will know that your kingdom has come and we can pray that your will be done 
this day and always, for Jesus' sake and in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Um, scripture this morning will be from Colossians chapter 1. It will be found on page 953 in your Bibles, if you would like to pull it out. Colossians 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Ephesus, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Then moving on to Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, as we walk through this world, spiritually speaking, it's often not a flat line. We experience peaks and valleys, and sometimes long stretches where nothing in particular seems to be happening. This morning, gathered here with Paul's words, 
we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would come and that you would take our heart's attention, that you would lift it up all the way to heaven where Jesus is seated even now. That as Paul says, you would help us to set our minds on things above. In your name, amen. Today marks the end of another church liturgical year. Today is Christ the King Sunday, and on Christ the King Sunday, we declare and we sing and we celebrate as we've been doing that Jesus is not up for re-election. Jesus has already been established as the ruler of the cosmos. On the last Sunday of the church year, we imagine Jesus as a cosmic king, a king sitting on a throne who is even now ushering in a new world order. And on Christ the King Sunday, today, we have this image that Paul has tried to ink upon our imaginations in Colossians 1. This passage in Colossians 1, if you don't know, it was probably a hymn or a confession of faith in the early church. It's not easy to see that necessarily, though, in the way that it's arranged in your Bible. And Tanya asked you to open one up. I wonder if you would keep it open just for a second because I want us to look at this. Right? In verse 3 through 9 and verse 21 through 23, Paul is doing his usual, right? He's writing complicated sentences and he's addressing his audience directly in Colossae. He says you, he says we a lot. But right there in the middle, between verses 15 and 20, there's another sort of language happening. It's structured intentionally. I want you to look at it with me just, just for a moment. As you're looking at it, there's two stanzas that balance each other through themes and words. Firstborn, in verse 15, balances the word firstborn in verse 18. The phrase, in him all things were created, in verse 16, it's balanced by, in him all the fullness of God dwells, in verse 19. All things in heaven and on earth were created, Right? And all things in heaven and earth are reconciled, balance each other. Right? So the first stanza there that you see is, is all about creation. And the second one is all about new creation. And in between them, in verse 17, there is, there is a verse that both points back to the first stanza and points ahead to the second. It holds them together. Right, so you're looking at this, and I appreciate you cooperating with me, but maybe it's been a minute since you've done literary analysis, right? So do you know what this is? It's a poem. It's a poem. It's a poem about cosmic King Jesus. Do you know what I love about poetry? Not everybody loves poetry. I love poetry. Do you know what I love about poetry? With poems, the, the message of a poem and the way that you design the words in the poem, they're meant to reinforce each other. They say the same thing. The message and the, meaning, and the medium communicate the meaning. And just so, when you're looking at this poem, notice that the first stanza is about Jesus, who is the source of all creation, and the second stanza is about Jesus, who is overseeing new creation. And right in the middle in verse 17, it says what? 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ holds all things together, right? And in the poem, that middle line holds together the two stanzas. This has got to be one of the most astounding claims about Jesus, my friends. It, it makes your head spin if you think about it. Jesus, the crucified Jew, Paul is saying, is the very image of the invisible God. A crucified Jew on a cross is what God is like. Jesus, who was born to an unwed teenager in Palestine, is the firstborn of all creation. The one, by the way, through whom even his mother Mary was made. Jesus This man from a remote town in Galilee is the one for whom everything was made. And Jesus is also the head of a whole new created order, which we know as the church. (laughs) The church, which according to Paul is not a ragtag group of free associating believers with a penchant for do-goodery. The church, the universal body of Christ that when gathered like this is actually a portal to a new new creation where God reigns in glory and all is well with the world. Oh, but wait, there's more, right? Because you see this same Jesus is the one who even now is holding everything together in his hands. How? Because in Jesus, all, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. It's a beautiful poem. Right, but so here's the thing about poems. They use images not just to explain things like I just did, but to evoke something. And what Paul wants to evoke for the Colossians and for us is that Jesus is the absolute center of all reality. He's saying that before anything was made, there was Jesus, the Son of God. He's saying that at the end of all things, there is Jesus, the cosmic king. And standing at the center of everything, even now, is the one who holds it all together, which is Jesus. Christ, the cosmic king, holds all creation in his hands. It's beautiful. Well, yeah, I know. But that's fine, well, and good. And you might be saying that's great for the poetical souls in our midst, but I am not amongst them Well, so you might find it interesting to know then that when Paul wrote this poem, right, maybe it's his or maybe he's quoting it from somewhere else, we don't know, but when he wrote this down, there was another gospel taking the world by storm. You know, Paul started this letter, and you heard it, he started by giving thanks for the Colossians' faith in Jesus. Uh, Paul did not plant this church. Somebody else did, Epaphras did, and Epaphras comes to visit him in prison, tells him all about it, so Paul writes them a letter. And Paul says, I have heard all about your love for, your faith in Jesus, your love for God's people, a faith and hope that spring from hope that comes from knowing the true message of the gospel. Well, do you know what the gospel was in the ancient world? The gospel was Rome's good news about Caesar Augustus. It was Rome's good news that they were spreading liberally across all of the ancient world about a new ruler who had, who had taken the ancient world by storm for his political innovations and his power and his panache and his ability to reunite a fractured Roman Empire under his rule. The gospel 
that was spreading throughout the ancient world was good news about Caesar. And Rome's the only one that uses this word. Rome, if you don't know, specializes in images that are meant to remind people of the gospel of Caesar. Right? In our day, empires have all kinds of mass media resources to get their image out there and brand things. Right? But in the ancient world, they didn't have t-shirts and water bottles and pens and refrigerator magnets. They used coins and they used statues. And on the statues and the coins, they would put titles for their rulers. Titles like firstborn, image of God, the one who makes peace, the one who reconciles all things to himself. Right, see, so now you're starting to see what's going on here. Right, in fact, there were two scholars who were writing about the ancient world and they said this. They said the image of Caesar was literally everywhere. In the market, on coins, in the gymnasium, at the gladiatorial games, on jewelry, goblets, lamps, paintings. Images of the emperor were as common in the first century as corporate logos are in the 21st. So imagine... The world is like this. Every day, you take out money to go about your life, go to the grocery store, transact business, and you see a picture of Caesar. And you would remember that Caesar is the son of God who brought peace and justice. And all Caesar asks in return is your gratitude, allegiance, and taxes. And you give those things because Caesar is the reason you have a stable economy. Every time you take out a piece of money, you are reminded with this image of the story. And when you go to the market with your child and the stalls of food and goods there from all over the ancient world have been brought to you, well, you might see a statue of a great Roman war victory and you would be reminded in that image that all the nice things that are filled up in the market stalls where you live are here because Rome made good roads and Rome globalized the world. And Rome made peace. And the reason that you feel safe to bring your child with you into the public square is because Rome keeps peace. And when you went to a concert or a play, you might see a bust of Caesar with this title, Firstborn, and you would be reminded with this image that before Caesar, the whole world was chaos and disorder, but now we have art and we have culture and we have entertainment because Caesar holds all things together. You see, the Roman Empire was a story with Caesar's picture on it. These images of Caesar were saying that the Roman Empire is the story that can make sense of your life in a world of chaos. And it sounds silly to us. I mean, even when you say it, it's like, well, those foolish, backwards, ancient people. Why would anyone go in for the belief that an idea or a person could, could hold your life together like that? Why would anyone be so silly as to think that, that an idea or a person could make your life make sense? Do you have a dollar on you? No, I'm not going to ask you to give it to me. Don't worry. I want you to look at it, right? If you have a dollar, take it out. There's a Latin phrase on the back beneath the great seal. Do you know what it says? Novus Ordo Secularum. New World Order. 
Do you know who wrote that? You don't, but I'll tell you. A Roman poet named Virgil. And Virgil's job was to talk about Rome. His job was to spin the Roman Empire in stories and poems, to declare to the world the good news that the world changed forever when Caesar took the throne. The founders of this country picked those words because they wanted to say that the world changed forever in the 18th century. They believed that when science and human reason took the throne, democracy brought a new world order. And in many ways today in the West, we still believe that the center of history was 1776. Do you see? America is a story. It's a story that with a Liberty Bell image on the center and the promise that democracy can hold the world together. Do you know what else is a story? Postmodern secularism. It's a story that says there is no meaning to your life. You have to make it. This story tells us to believe that when we let our deepest needs and, and intimate desires take the throne, it will bring a new world to us. And we, with enough therapy and an Ivy League liberal arts, arts degree, we can, in fact, write the story of our lives in a way that holds all the pieces together and makes it make sense. Communism is a story. Chaos comes from private ownership and serving the state will liberate you. Technology is a story. Human limitations are the reason that you suffer and technology can fulfill what is lacking in your life by connecting you to the all-knowing omniscience of the internet. The world changed in 2009 and iPhone is the thing that can make sense of your life. Yes, it does seem silly, and yet we go in for the belief that an idea or a person or a device can make your life make sense. Why? Because we desperately want things to make sense. Friends, the world is unpredictable, and the way that we deal with this as humans is with stories. We tell stories. So there's a book by a philosopher named Alistair McIntyre, called After Virtue. Uh, it's very complicated, but he has this great little analogy in it at one point to demonstrate how we use stories to make meaning in life. He imagines, so he says, imagine that you're waiting at a bus stop and a young man comes up and stands next to you while you wait for the bus and he, he sidles over to you and he looks at you and he suddenly says, the name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus. We have no idea what to do with this. We don't know this young man. We have no idea what this means, but we have to make sense of it. So how do you do that? We tell a story. It could be a sad story. You could say, oh, this poor young man is clearly mentally unstable. He's not living in the same world as me, and that's why he said this. It could be a story of mistaken identity. You could tell yourself, well, maybe he was in the library yesterday and someone walked up to him and said, by the way, do you happen to know what the Latin name for the common wild duck is? And today he saw you standing by the bus stop and he thought you were that person. Or perhaps it's a story about his 
therapist was trying to help him to overcome debilitating shyness. And so he's just come from a therapy session and he sees you at a bus stop and he's remembering that the therapist encouraged him to practice talking to strangers. What should I say? He says to his therapist, doesn't matter, say the first thing that pops into your head. And he did. Or maybe, maybe this young man is a Soviet spy and he's, and he's mistaken you for his contact at a prearranged rendezvous, and he's uttered the ill-chosen code word. See, any of those things could be ridiculous or true. It doesn't matter. In all of those cases, the way that we make sense of the random situation of a young man walking up to us and saying that the Latin name for the common wild duck is histrionicus, 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 is by putting it into a story. And in a much more serious way, this is what we do with all the random and difficult things that come into our lives every day. My friends, does it ever feel like your life is unraveling? You ever have the sense that seems that things are falling apart? Does it ever feel like an amusement ride, you know, the one where you get in the edge and it starts to spin faster and faster and then the floor falls away. Marriage falls apart, a friend dies, a cancer test is positive, pregnancy test is negative. The company you work for turns out not to be altruistic after all. The foundation that you poured fails even though you did everything YouTube told you to do. The kids don't call each other and we don't know where we went wrong because we spend every spare dollar on family vacations. We get older, but we don't seem to be getting any wiser. Things fall apart. And what we crave is something at the center that can somehow hold it all together and make it all make sense. We want to see peace in the world, not just a ceasefire. We want to have lives that are productive and fruitful, not just mindlessly busy. We want to know that the strange and sad things that have happened to us, the ones that are our our fault and the ones that have nothing to do with us at all, ultimately go somewhere. We want a story that can bring the frayed ends of our lives together in a way that makes sense. Paul says, I have good news for you. The true gospel, which is that at the center of all reality is not an idea or an ideal, but a person. A person in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He was here before anything else existed. And everything that does exist, he has his fingerprints on it. And everything is heading toward him even now. His name is Jesus, and Jesus is king. Every throne, every rulership, every tree and rock and stream, everything that you can see and all of the things that you can't, each physical and spiritual reality that was made, it was made through him, and it was made for him, and you were too. And more than that, Jesus is the one through whom the the new creation of the church was established, and, and he inaugurated it through his own death. And his body politic is the church of which he is the head, a group of people who have sworn allegiance to Jesus, who is Lord above all names, because Jesus is the name that is above every name in heaven and earth. 
And the reason that we trust this king is because his kingdom is not established by the taking of power, but by the yielding of it. Jesus brings peace not by crushing his enemies, but by giving himself up for them. Jesus brings forth a new creation by dying. And his reign is established by his self-giving for the sake of a cosmos that had turned against him. All of it's poetical, I know. But the point of the poetry is to evoke an image that captures and recolonizes our imagination so that we can begin to set him at the center of all things and so that our lives can find a new beginning and their ending in the one who together holds everything even now. Today is Christ the King Sunday, and today that we, we celebrate that on the last Sunday of the ancient liturgical calendar, the world changed. Not in the 18th century, not in the 21st, but in the first century. Where? It wasn't Rome, and it wasn't Constantinople. It was outside of Jerusalem on a Roman cross through a Jewish man they called the Messiah. And as Paul goes on to say after this passage in verse 21, 22, and 23, this is not an abstract policy change. His reign is available to us now. In fact, just now you are sitting in it. The good news that Jesus brings to us is not only that he was first, and that he is last, but that right now he is the one holding everything and us together. So one day there was this woman named Jean. She stepped into a pastor's office. Jean was a member of his congregation. The pastor was Craig Barnes. And she came and she sat down and she told him that she had something she needed to tell him that might very well wig him out. Jean began to explain that most of her life she had struggled with multiple personality disorder. She began to explain the havoc that it caused, failed relationships, jobs from which she'd been fired for inappropriate behavior that she could not even remember, checks missing from her checkbook that were written by one of the other personalities, and she comes because she wants to know which of these personalities is the Christian within me. And Jean wants to know, she wants to know what God can make of this terribly fractured life. And Craig is almost in tears to hear about all the broken and lost threads of this woman's life that seem like they'll never go back together again. But the reason that she's there in his office is because she has heard about King Jesus who created all things and Jesus to whom everything is headed. And so she wants to know, can God make something of my fractured life? The first thing that Barnes does is he reconnects her to a therapist and to a treatment regimen. The psychiatrist's job is to help Jean confront childhood trauma and the medicine helps to ease some of that suffering. And Craig's job as a pastor all along the way is to help Jean know this, that she does not have to break apart her personality in order to find one that God will like. To keep telling her 
that the arms of Christ on the cross are open wide enough to embrace everything, to reconcile everything that is within her. And over time, very slowly, over the course of the years, Jean's life begins to reintegrate. The altered personalities gradually disappear from Pastor Craig's office and they stop writing him angry letters such that by the end, Barnes says, in his last meeting with her, Jean just kept saying to him, in Christ all things hold together. It was like it had become the anthem of her life. And it is Paul's gift of a hymn to us in the midst of all the disparate and fractured and seemingly incongruent things that fall apart in our lives too. A hymn to Christ who was there before even the world was made and who will be there at the end of all of it too. A Christ who can tell you, my friends, the truth about how you were made good and loved in a world that was made good and loved. A hymn to Christ who stands at the very end of the world and your life and who can tell us that the story does have a happy ending even if we cannot see it now. For we were made for him and we are headed to him now. And a hymn to Christ who in the meantime is the one who holds all things together in his wounded, resurrected hands. My friends, today is Christ the King Sunday. Jesus reigns. We should eat and sing. Would you pray with me? Almighty and everlasting God, you have willed to restore all things in your beloved Son, our Lord and King. Grant that the people of earth and us, now divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under the gentle and loving rule of Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, King Jesus has prepared a feast for you. He paid for it with his own blood and by being cast out from God's presence, he makes a place for you to be able to sit here. Friends, everything is ready, and God has done all that is necessary to come here. And so let's give thanks and let's eat. Friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. That works. There we go. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Pray with me. Glory to you, Lord God, for your word was alive in creation, is present in the power of the Spirit, and will come in glory on the last day. You made a covenant with David's house, a promise that your throne would have a king from David's line. And in the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, who was born through Mary and descended from David, 
and resurrected from the cross as the firstborn of the dead, and who now sits upon the throne as ruler of the kings of the earth. So worthy are you, Lord God, for rescuing us. Worthy are you, Christ, for setting us free from sins by your blood. Worthy are you, Holy Spirit, for placing the new heart of obedience within us. For together we proclaim how worthy you are joining the angels in heaven in everlasting praise, proclaiming together with one voice, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. God of truth, your son came to testify to you and to lead us into all righteousness. Send your Holy Spirit upon your people so that your words and your gospel may be on our lips. And sanctify this bread and this cup that they may be for us the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ, who, at supper with his disciples, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice before he died and until he comes again. On the night of his arrest, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and after giving thanks to God, he gave it to them. He said, this cup is the new covenant which is poured out for you and for many. Whenever you drink it, do this to remember me. For friends, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we together proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. God of all beginnings and endings, your son declared his kingdom was not of this world. Reign over the governance of every earthly kingdom that it may be ruled justly in spirit and in truth. Visit your children who live in fear, dwell under oppression, experience cruelty, or suffer discrimination. Turn our suffering toward your kingdom and make it hopeful. Transform our small hopes into the joyful awaiting of your return. And bring to those who do not know you, those who have forgotten you, all who have rejected you, the light of your grace and the thirst for your mercy. Until your Son comes with clouds descending and in glory, and every tribe and tongue lifts your name on high, and every knee is bowed low, ever one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this table for all those who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. All who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who are sorry for their sins and who desire to live in obedience to him are invited to come now with gladness to the table of the Lord. For friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. I want to invite our worship team and also our elders to come forward. They're going to help us to share in this meal together. Uh, 
the elements uh, at this time, the way we're celebrating communion is by bringing the elements to you. Both the cup and the bread will be coming together. Uh, and then we will hold them and take them at the end. Uh, if you would like single-serve elements as we turn toward the winter and people have health concerns, please give me a little sign and I'm happy to bring those to you along the way. Friends, let's eat together.
trusting and knowing that those not in the room, either online or, or downstairs, our leaders and students have also received the elements and are ready. Friends, let's, let's eat together. Take, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Take, sorry, it's a little dry. Wish I had liquid in my hand or something, that would help. Take, drink, remember and believe that the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Friends, would you rise in body and spirit, having eaten this meal that Christians have been sharing together for centuries, let's lift our voices and proclaim the faith that the church has been declaring for centuries, saying with one voice, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And born in the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. On Christ the King Sunday, we remember that Jesus is even now reigning over all things. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And from there, he sends you out with a blessing today. And so I invite you to lift your eyes, open your hands, and receive it. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
Friends, go now in peace to love and serve Jesus Christ.